It's the show that makes us talk. You know, ironically, the other day I saw a ghost cooking supper. Yeah? You know what he was cooking? I don't know what. Spaghetti. (laughs) What about our life? With Chris and Will. Halloween. It's another great episode of What About Our Life with Chris and Will. How are you on this great October 31st, 2019? Whoa. That was weird, but yes. Okay. <laughs> so it I was, was trying to get into the, you know, the, the spirit of Halloween. Yes, I think everybody's been in the spirit of Halloween if you were in or if you live in Orlando, probably since August. Because yeah. that's when they start doing their Halloween stuff. Yeah. But if you're anywhere else in the world, it's probably tonight or today, whatever time you're listening to this, because Halloween is a special day, in my opinion. Yes. I like Halloween. I, th- I love decorating for Halloween. I love dressing up for Halloween, uh, taking kids out to trick or treat and trick or treating yourself for Halloween. Um, love doing that. Mm-hmm. So, so. What do you enjoy about Halloween? I like the kids' side of it, I guess. I like the the smiley face ghosts and the pumpkins and stuff like that. I know it sounds silly, but that's the, I guess that's the young at heart. Our Halloween decorations date back for a long time because a lot of my decorations that I have are ceramic from back in the day, like in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Michael's actually used to sell a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. We still have that. And isn't it that you could put like some type of a light or a candle or something? You put candles inside of it. They're old ceramic uh, candle holders for Halloween. I still have a lot of those. And of course, we always like to put black lights all in the uh, the house yeah. so everywhere you're going, make, making sure that your clothes are actually clean so you can see through the black light. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, as, you know, and then, of course, the as, as adults, scare pranks. I mean, because you're a scaredy cat in every little thing. Oh, so gosh. it's always best to go hide somewhere. So then that way Willie doesn't know that you're there and just jump out and scare you. It's just, yeah. Yeah. If you want to say scaredy cat, sure. Yeah, you are a scary cat. <laughs> you get scared at everything, especially when we went to Halloween Horror Nights and Universal. Uh, and the chainsaw people chasing you around the theme the park. The first time that he takes me to Halloween Horror Nights, it was, we hadn't even known each other for half a year. And yeah, so we go over there. I'm thinking, okay, you know, Chris is going to you know, pee there and he's going to, I'm going to feel safe. No, some chainsaw guy comes after me and chases me halfway across the park. And he's just standing there laughing. It was funny. I didn't have to go to the houses or anything like that. It was watching Willie get chased was the best part. That was worth paying the money to get into the park is just to sit there and watch that. Now, of course, that was when they did um, scare zones. 
throughout the entire park and not just in sections. And we've actually, when Universal used to do both parks for Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, because they did do that for uh, a few years. They did it for one year, I think. It was one or two years that they did it. And um, that was a lot of fun. That was actually fun. And, you know, and then, of course, I take him to the Myrtles Plantation in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or St. Francisville. I always like to go when it's cloudy outside or raining. So it gives it that spooky, eerie feeling. Mm -hmm. So it makes him scared even more. Yeah. And then the fact that uh, what you had to you had your niece in on it and I had no idea that you were taking me. Yep. That's what's fun about it is you just don't tell him. That's 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 why it's called a prank because you you it's better. They than took drinking. me to what was better it a, a museum and um in another place. It was the planetarium. The planetarium. There we go. And I'm like, okay. And then we're driving somewhere else afterward. I'm like, where are we going? Oh, you'll enjoy it. Right. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. You may not have enjoyed it, but it was fun. No, I did enjoy it. It was just, you got to admit, I mean, it was cloudy. It was raining. The big oak trees at the entrance, it kind of like, it almost looked like something out of a spooky cartoon yeah, or something. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. What about Halloween movies? I mean, Halloween movie itself, yes, we actually watched that the other night, the yes, first one. we did. My favorite Halloween movie is the second one, while they're when they're in the uh, hospital. Uh, that okay. was always my favorite but scary Halloween movies, the best time to watch them. What about those? Which ones do you do not like? I love Poltergeist, but you hate it. Mm, I didn't really. I mean, I guess Hocus Pocus. I mean, I saw That's that. That's not a TV. horror movie. It's a Halloween movie. Everybody watches Hocus Pocus for Halloween. It's not a horror movie. I'm talking about horror movies. Horror movies. Okay, so Scream and Scream 2. The, that mm. Scream was more blutz and gory. It wasn't really... Scare three. Okay, all right. Sense. Horror movie, Friday the thirteenth. Friday the thirteenth. I was yes. I was hiding behind the sofa because uh uh-uh, uh no. Yeah. Friday the uh-uh. thirteenth, I will I will give. I will give. Uh-uh. Uh, Child's play from back in the day I hated. Uh, Pet Cemetery, I hated. Loved watching them, but you <laughs> just couldn't go to sleep. And the the killer clowns from outer space was another old one. I couldn't sleep for days watching that. And in fact, there's an interesting story behind this. We were working on a project in Hollywood Mm -hmm. and the Kyoto brothers who are the creators of that movie. And they've done, um, they, they've worked on like gremlins adventures in wonderland, a lot of different projects they've worked on, but they specifically produced um, the killer clowns from outer space. And we had a meeting with them in their studio. And you remember this? In yeah, their, and they had them in. Oh they my had gosh. the clowns in a uh, cabinet, in a glass cabinet, yeah. in the conference room. Yeah, and it freaked me out. And I'm sitting there going, "Okay, I can't do business in here. We've got to go somewhere else. There's nothing in them. It doesn't matter. Those big clown heads are in that thing, just looking at you, and it's just no. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, that was an interesting um, thing. Was. And you know, and another interesting story, when I worked uh, Halloween Horror Nights over at Universal, and they actually had a clown house, and I believe I told you this, Yes, you I did. was supervising that night, and in the wardrobe hall back backstage, it's a long, long hallway, and it's usually busy. Well, at this time of night, I want to say it was like 10 or 11 o'clock, there was absolutely no one in this hall 
uh, it was dead silent. It was the lights were on, but a few lights were out. So it was kind of like half lit in mm-hmm. a sense. Well, the characters got dressed in a room on the other side of that wardrobe hall to walk to their house for the uh, Halloween Horror Nights event. And so I had to walk through that wardrobe hall and it was eerie as it was. Those clowns came out of their uh, room and started walking down that hall towards me. And all I saw was these deathly clowns walking (laughs) towards me in this half lit empty hallway that was just me and them. I'm going to tell you, I took off running because it was freaky. It was a nightmare. I knew it was people, but it was a nightmare. So, yeah. Yeah, didn't you say that uh, you went and hid behind? I did. Uh, I went and hid behind clothes because the because I ran right into the wardrobe hall and they have all the, uh, yeah. all the costumes and everything for the different attractions and stuff. And I went and hid behind them as they walked past because it was creepy. You just had to be there. You just mm-hmm. had to be there. What about living in a haunted house? Remember when we did that and we lived in that old house and oh. we kept hearing sounds well, then, and things okay, would okay. fall off of our dresser? Not only that, do you remember when I had the smiley face uh, that you press it and it does some type, it says I do. something? I do. It was a New Year's just, Eve thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it went across the room and it started talking or it like it's... I wasn't, we weren't anywhere near it, but it was like something pushed the, the yeah, button for it, it to talk. Pushed the button to talk. And then I had a briefcase that was on uh, a desk or a shelf and it was heavy. There was a lot of books in it. Yeah. And it just went flying across. The and room. also, uh, if you can recall when, um, in, in the same house, I couldn't get outside of the room. The door was locked uh-huh. and the window was, was shut. Why didn't we move? We didn't have a choice, but we had to tolerate it. And we did. And we tolerate mm-hmm. And we got used to it. I think, surprisingly enough, we had to have somebody, the owner of the house, said you had to have the conversation with the with the ghosts that were in the house to get them to stop freaking what was you it out. That one t- so yeah. we did. And we he, he helped us figure it out. And they kind of left us alone a little bit. But you could still hear them in the middle of the night because it was a wooden house. And they would walk up and down the stairs. And literally, I'm not kidding in, you. It sounded you like boots. Hear it. It's like boots. Mm-hmm. It, it was. And that one time that we went to go open our room upstairs. And I don't know if you saw it, but there was like this. like Or, or the best one. The electricity went out in the house. Yeah. And certain, uh, certain lights were still on and they were unplugged. Yeah. And we couldn't figure that out. Mm-hmm. And the owner of the house said, this is kind of new. And we're like, yeah, it's kind of new. Should it be a sign that says we just need to go to Waffle House or something for a little while just to get <laughs> It was crazy. But that was our lovely experience living in in living in Halloween pretty much every single day. But I do like Halloween. As an adult, I don't dress up as much as I wish I could. Because like I've said before, we're never around and mm-hmm. never home to do that. And when we go to parties, we don't ever have time to think about what we want to do. So hopefully yeah. that'll change. But our schedule doesn't permit it at times or we're not in the right location in mm-hmm. a sense. But remember, I would always cook uh, or bake Halloween cakes and yeah. brownies. Remember when I made that that Halloween brownie and had all kinds of little ghosts and candy corn and stuff all over it. It was actually quite nice. So mm-hmm. Halloween, we love we love Halloween. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of exciting stuff with the movies, the music, the entertainment, everything, the festivities, everything that goes on. It's just a lot of fun. We just, we enjoy Halloween. 
We really, really do. That's why we call it Happy Halloween. <laughs> Welcome to an extraordinary world filled with magic and wonder. Open your mind and let yourself go to a place where every day is Halloween and every night Jack Skellington I am the Pumpkin King! dreams of something different. What is this? It's someplace new. Jack, look out! What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This is a star. What is this? Haven't you heard of peace on Earth and goodwill toward men? <laughs> Touchstone Pictures presents the enchanting story of two very special dreamers and the holiday spirit that brought them together. From the imagination of Tim Burton comes The Nightmare Before Christmas. And what did Santa bring you, honey? Of course, it's the amazing, my favorite Halloween and Christmas film of all times, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> and, you know, we've got a special guest with us that we're going to talk about a little later. Yeah. That's part of this amazing film. And it, it's different. But that was the trailer from back in 1993 when the film was released. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they it was labeled as a stop-motion animated musical a dark fantasy of halloween and christmas do you recall when we went and saw it in um hollywood um at the the panties theater no the disney the disney theater the el capitan, ah, el capitan and yes. they had a they had a, like an organist play before yes before they did. the movie was shown they did and they did because Danny Elfman, who composes it, is one of my favorite all-time film composers, mm -hmm. of course. He also did the movie soundtrack for Men in Black, I think. Yes, he did. A lot of familiar sounds. Uh, it was by Touchstone Pictures, Skeleton Productions, and Walt Disney Pictures, hmm. believe it or not. It was an $18 million budget, wow. which grossed to $76.2 million. How fun is that? You know, another interesting part about the filming of this that I learned, it um, was filmed in 20 different sound stages. What? To create this film. That's right. They used 109,440 frames. I was thinking, that, I was movie. thinking, wow, that's a lot of time. A lot of time. <laughs> With 227 puppets. Huh. Yes. Interesting. A lot, a lot of. Correct. Yes. And definitely. there's possibility a live action remake that was announced uh, this year, 2019, that they may do in a couple of years. Hmm. Interesting. Enough. And you might have known this, but it's been included in the Kingdom Hearts uh, series. Um you know, for yeah, it has, and it's mm -hmm. considered a classic Halloween film. Yeah, everybody seems to to love it. 
and it and I of course and then they do the attraction at Disneyland. They transform the haunted mansion into the nightmare before Christmas. Yeah, and they call it Haunted Mansion Holiday. Haunted Mansion Holiday. It's based off of the movie, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool. So I don't know if I think it was one of the first few times that we went and did it. And there's this one part where uh, they have the big, huge uh, wreath, uh-huh. Christmas wreath. And then it would freak me out each time because it's the part where the um, um, everything's going backwards. Yeah, and then you see, you see the gigantic teeth. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. And he would laugh, Chris would laugh at me. I would because it was funny. It's part of the pranks thing again. But uh, anyway, Chris Sarandon played the voice of Jack. Hmm. Catherine O'Hara, I remember her from um, Home, Alone. Home Alone. She is the voice of Sally. And I didn't know that. Didn't either. Yeah. William Hickey is the voice of Dr. Finkelstein. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Shadix is the mayor of Halloween Town. Hmm. Ken Page, Oogie Boogie. Hmm. Ed Ivory, Santa Claus. And you know what? An interesting one I didn't know. Paul Rubens. Pee Wee Herman himself did the voice of Locke. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And that makes up the nightmare before Christmas. But you know, today's episode, it's all about Oogie Boogie. It is so totally all about Oogie Boogie because we're going to go through all of that. And, you know, he might say something to us a little bit later, but... The voice of Oogie Boogie is played by none other than the amazing Ken Page, yes. who is with us today. Yay! And he is going to talk about not only his amazing career, but Nightmare Before Christmas mm-hmm. and how that came across. But um, he's been in film, Cats, for 1990. I don't even know. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Broadway film. Yeah. Broadway, Cats. I don't know why yeah. I keep saying film. But it Broadway, was a film, Cats. and then it went on VHS. Yes, and, yes. Yeah. So, so it, yes. He his crit, He also was on Dreamgirls, the movie in Dreamgirls, 2006. Ah. Yep. And he voiced Oogie Boogie for all of the Kingdom Hearts. That's what I was talking about, that it was in the series, yeah. Correct. He was in Family Matters. He did an episode of Family Matters in 1990. He did a couple episodes of Adventures in Wonderland. He played the walrus. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, he was also in Touched by an Angel. Hmm. Uh, he was also in Broadway Guys and Dolls. Yeah. And Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. And uh, South Central in 1994 hmm. for a film. And he also voiced King Gator in All Dogs Go to Heaven. I didn't know that. Yes, he hmm. did. He has performed several times at the Hollywood Bowl hmm. and done a lot of tour shows with voicing Oogie Boogie in his famous Oogie Boogie song for Nightmare Before Christmas. And he has an amazing voice. He's done a lot of great things and a lot of great music. And we've heard some of his music. We've heard some of the talent. He's a very talented man. So we're going to give Ken a call. So sit back. Oogie Boogie's coming up. So sit back, relax. Ken Page is coming up. Santa Claus, oh 
everybody is talking about. <laughs> You're joking. You're joking. I can't believe my eyes. You're joking. You've got to be. This can't be the right guy. He's angry. He's ugly. I don't know which is worse. I just might spill a seed now if I don't die laughing first. With this there's trouble comes ahead. You better pay attention now, cause I'm the boogie man. And if you won't shake it, there's something to know. Cause this may be the last time you hear the boogie song. And now, with your permission, I'm going to do my stuff. What are you going to do? I'm going to do the best I can. Honored to welcome an amazing voice actor, best known for his work on The Nightmare Before Christmas, Ken Page. Hi, Ken. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And good morning or afternoon or evening, whoever's listening, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, this is a, this is a treat. This is a very big treat for us. Um, we're going to go into the Nightmare Before Christmas a little bit later on. But first, yeah. I wanted to ask, what inspired you to get into the entertainment industry? Well, actually, my, my earliest inspiration was my cousin, who was three years uh, older than I. And he um, was in speech tournaments, and he took tap dance lessons, and he was in in St. Louis in the Cathedral Boys Choir and all those wonderful things, I got to tag along. You know, he took piano lessons. So everything he did, I got to tag along and, and observe for a few years before I was really eligible to be part of any of it. But right. I would say he was my real inspiration because I saw immediately um, that there it could be done. Right. You know, I could dance. I could play piano. I could sing. I could speak or act or whatever. And by example, he just led me to find my own voice in that. And that was from the time I was in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, somewhere around there. And around seventh grade, I had been singing in a choir that was directed um, by a nun. I went to Catholic school. Uh -huh. And it, long story short, she, we would get sort of, I won't say bus, but we'd get station wagoned. <laughs> <laughs> to her school to sing with the choir there. But anyway, in the seventh grade, she came to our school. 
And this woman was amazing. She's still living. God bless her. She started a a speech program, so then I was able to compete in that same thing that my cousin had done. It was called the Bellarmine Speech League, you know, one of those Uh intramural citywide speeches. And she also started teaching music. She bagged up instruments and got um, uh, musicians to volunteer to teach and so on and so on. So that really began my active um, uh, exposure to actual performance and doing it, you know. So I was inspired by all of that, certainly. And uh, by eighth grade, I had won a few medals, uh, ribbons, I guess they were, in the speech tournament. And then so that uh, prompted me to go to high school where I could have uh, music and theater training. There was a school I had been sort of preparing for for two years, a very uh-huh. uh, upmarket uh, boys' school in St. Louis, St. Louis University High School, which was very much about academics, but they did have a drama program. Right. But they did serious things like, you know, uh, a hat full of rain and a thousand clowns and things like that. I want to be in musicals, you know. <laughs> so uh, I went to a school that had the annual musical, and that's how I really got into it. First, First freshman year, we did Funny Girl, and I was the Ziegfeld tenor singing His Love Makes You Beautiful uh-huh. wow. to uh, and on from there, you know, and that's what really solidified my uh, moving into musical theater and, and theater. So do you do any uh, training for your voice to keep your voice intact? Well, you know, I don't anymore, and I'm not proud to say that, but I took voice lessons four years. And not to say that you don't need to continue them, uh, but, you know, I figured by the time I started giving them, in a sense, of coaching people off and on, that I probably could coach myself. Now, that may be a lot of hubris on my part, but I, I'm so entrenched with what I learned that I, I am aware to take care and how to sing and so forth like that. So I, I don't still study, but anytime I have something major to do, I do go to someone and and, then work on it with them so that I can do it properly, you know. But as far as just weekly voice lessons and that sort of thing you do when you're starting out, I don't really do that anymore. Wow. So what would you say your favorite uh, theatrical production that you've done? Because you've done a lot of Broadway shows and uh, touring shows and so forth. So which one would you say was the best one you've ever done? Well, you know, people ask that question of, actors all the time and i have to tell you you can't really to be honest at least speaking for myself every show i've done particularly on broadway and i should footnote to say the muni in st louis which is a huge eleven thousand seat outdoor theater where i started my actual professional career at 18 uh, i have done 41 shows there Whoa. That's a lot of shows. I'm, I, I say it because I'm still amazed myself. It's like, really? Have I really done that many? <laughs> um, so needless to say, it's hard to say which was my favorite. But when I think about uh, the shows in New York, they each one of them came at a different time in my life and, and gave me something much more than just the work experience. They were life experiences, of course, because you meet friends and you make friends. And I have lifelong friends from every show I've ever done. Uh, specifically in New York. Um, So it's hard to say a favorite. I would put it this way. Uh, Going back to the beginning, of course, Guys and Dolls was my uh, Broadway debut. And that was a Broadway debut. So it's hard to top that. So that's the beginning. And then I did The Wiz, which was still a huge hit when I went into the show. And it sort of brought me into my, hey, I call it my hipness. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> I was a pretty square musical theater kind of guy, but it made me kind of get the rhythm, you know. Right. And, uh, of course, Ain't Misbehaving was groundbreaking as far as a, the kind of show that it was. And the spotlight on five uh, people who had been supporting players and everything we'd done up till then. We were great performers, but we'd always been the second one or the third one behind somebody in the lead. And in Amos Behaven, all five of us were the leads. So that was a very strong group of people to be in a show. So there was that, which is amazing. Of course, Amos Behaven won Best Musical, the Tony, and it won every award the year that it opened and everything. So that was very special, needless to say. And then, of course, Cats, which I don't even need to tell you. I mean, that's just a worldwide kind of thing, you know. Um, and to be part of that and then to get to go back, I want to say it was like 10 or more years later, to do the uh, video recording of the show in London uh, was, it changed my life in so many different ways, just being part of what is a worldwide phenomenon, you know, um, so that's special. So that's how I would categorize it. I can't say that any one was my favorite. Each right. one provided me with something very different and very life-affirming uh, and altering. So have you seen the trailer for the Cats movie that's supposed to come out? I have. And what's your thoughts on it? Well, you know, I try not to say because I don't think it's fair. Because <laughs> everybody see they laugh when I say that. No, no, seriously, because I, I haven't seen the film, so it's hard right. to make a, a judgment on just the trailer. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it just seemed to me to be something very different than the actual show, but then I haven't seen it all, so I don't know. Right. I think the CGI, as we all know, this is no secret, it has frightened people a little bit. Yes. Um, I think some of the, I will say this without commenting on the film, since I haven't seen it, I'll say again. The whimsy of cat, Cats had a lot to do with the magic of suspension of belief. When you saw people in the leotard and the makeup, the, the physicality of the actors is what made you believe or think of them as cats. It wasn't just that they looked exactly like cats. Right. It was the idea that they were making you believe through their artistry and their uh, uh, ability, if you will, that they were cats. We've studied cats very, very extensively to do it. And I think um, that had a lot to do with why the show worked, because it really had a magic to it yeah. that you had to be involved in. And film is film, you know, but if you take away that magic, it may extend something that's based in uh, uh, magic a bit too far into reality. I'm not sure, right. but I think that's what the reaction has been. It's like, well, if these people are made up and CGI to be exactly like cats in some sort of weird way, uh -huh. that might be a little frightening rather than amusing or interesting. Right, but right. we'll all see come December. We'll, we'll see. I certainly can't wait to see it. Right. Uh, having done the filmed video of the show, my personal feeling was, well, the show actually is already on film. Did we need a bigger film and so forth? Right. But we'll find out. Right, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And going back to when you had mentioned your first uh, Broadway uh, debut, Guys and Dolls. Yes. Did you enjoy that? And what did you enjoy from it? Well, I mean, I was a, 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 a student of musical theater leading up to having that opportunity. I'd done a tour of Pearly before then, which was my first professional job in New York, uh, as far as a Broadway show. I also did Huckleberry Finn with the Children's Theater, but oh, that's okay. another 
Uh, yeah, that was my first job out of New York with a lovely, lovely group there called Fanfare Theater Ensemble. And they were those sort of people who were the salt of the earth theater people. They really, you know, they lived on the edge and they didn't have a lot of money, but they took the show around the country and provided that for young people, which is the real core of theater. They were sort of like a Comedia dell'arte troupe, you know, they went around and brought it to the people. Uh, but anyway, when I got cast in Guys and Dolls, um, you know, you get your first Broadway show and, and incidentally, I was actually hired as the understudy originally to be in the ensemble and the really? guy who was to wow. do, yeah. That's it quite was a matter of weeks, the yeah. difference, you know, but um, he had to drop out for some reason and they called me back and said, we want to move you up to the role and so on and so forth. So it's those kind of things you always hear about in show business that happened that changed the course of your life as it right. did. That's interesting um, that you were talking about the ensemble because when I was a senior in high school, my first mm -hmm. musical was Guys and Dolls, and I got cast as an ensemble too. So, yeah. yeah, I thought that was interesting. And before that, I had done a few plays in drama class and drama club and stuff like that. And uh -huh. I didn't even want to do anything with musicals, but. Somehow they said, you really need the audition. So I said, okay, I will. Right, <laughs> right. And I mean, you know, Guys and Dolls is by some, some opinions, the authentic American musical of all time, you know. And to get to be in that, the wonderful thing about being in the ensemble, I just did it again this past summer, playing a different role. <laughs> but um, the thing is that you, you're all somebody. You're not just a group of people that move in a group as a chorus and so forth. You know, especially the male members all have a name and they're people and mm -hmm. they have different characterizations and so forth. So for me, I mean, that being my first show, it was, I already sort of knew it because as I was saying, I was a devotee of the musicals and so forth. So it wasn't unfamiliar to me. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm in a brand new show that nobody knows. It was almost like, what a great ticket to pull because I get to not only be on Broadway, but I'm in a show that I already know really well. You know, right. the thing for me that was great out of it is it gave me a chance because it was an all black company and they did, particularly in my case, uh, re-examine Sit Down, You Rock in the Boat, at least the end of it. And then they added an encore as it was uh, popular and so forth. It gave me a chance to really stretch out and, and, and do what I could do at that point, which is not always the case, you know. You get a role, you got the role. But in this case, I actually, it was sort of a hybrid between doing a, a set traditional show and then still also getting to do like a new version of it or a new piece of it. And we were fortunate, uh, our wonderful director, Billy Wilson, was there, of course, but we were also fortunate to have A. Burroughs as our uh, production supervisor, who, of course, was the co-book writer of the original production. Wow. So it was a very direct link to the show originally, and, and there was that for me. I learned a lot from Abe about comedy and timing and things like that, which I still use <laughs> and have never forgotten. But when you get to learn it from a, a master craftsman like Abe Burroughs, how lucky are you, you know? Right. So uh, um, it was great for me in that way, and I couldn't have had a better uh, introduction to the Broadway community and theater. I mean, people were writing things like, where the hell did he come from? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I hadn't, well, I hadn't been in anything else that they knew of. And all of a sudden, bam, there I was on Broadway. And, and like I said, it was very successful for me. And I remember Clive Barnes um, 
wrote a wonderful piece in the New York Times. And, you know, at the time, I didn't really even realize the value of it. I thought it was really nice. But people were like, do you understand Clyde Barnes just does not do this? And I thought, well, he does. He did. You know, they said, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand. He wrote you a love letter in the New York <laughs> Times, which means you're in. By any standard, you're in. He just doesn't do that, you know. Later on, of course, I realized how fortunate I had been. But um, a lot of wonderful things like that happened. I won the Theater World Award when I did the show, which they only give you when you make your Broadway or off-Broadway uh, debut. You can't. They give it to you. They select you and they give it to you. And that's the one, even though whatever you may get later, it sort of signifies that you're an official member of the theater community of New York, which is a big deal, you know. Right, right. Wow. So not only with theater, you've done a lot of voice acting. I mean, we were, just by coincidence, not by purpose, we had turned on the TV and we started watching All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yes! Oh my goodness, and yes. the voice sounded familiar, so of course we have to go and IMTV <laughs> it. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, I didn't know that you did King Gator. And yeah, that so was me. Big me and green. That. Well, you know, I got a call from my agent saying that Gary uh, Goldman and Don Bluth had, they knew my theater work, that's, uh -huh. you know, what it came from. And they offered the part to me, which was amazing. And they wow. thought, well, this, this, we think this could be great for you and so on and so forth. And it was the first voice work I'd done. I mean, I knew what that meant because, again, I was a big Disney fan. So I uh -huh. understood the idea of voice work that becomes animation. Um, long story short, you know, um, I went in, I recorded it. Um, I did a duet in the in the movie called Let's Make Music Together uh -huh. with the late Burt Reynolds. Uh, we never worked together. He did, <laughs> they told me he was intimidated because I was a musical theater person. He didn't really feel like he could sing. Uh -huh. But, of course, that was beside the point, you know. Right. So we recorded separately. He do, he recorded in Florida and Jupiter, I believe, and I recorded in Los Angeles. But I'm so proud then and now that um, forever there's a duet of me with Burt Reynolds that lives right. on in infamy and so forth. And the movie turned out, I mean, I didn't know a lot about it. I just sort of did my part because it was almost like a cameo. You show up in the middle, you do a big number, right. and you disappear. Um, so that's kind of how it happened, and it was just so great to be a part of it, I now know that it really is a cherished movie for a lot of people, especially when they were really young, you know. Right. Um, and when I do things connected with Nightmare Before Christmas, people are always like, wait a minute, wait a minute, were you, uh -huh. were you in, you were King Gator? I'm like, yep, big <laughs> and green, that's what I'm saying, you know. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so that was a real wonderful, wonderful opportunity. So let's go into The Nightmare Before Christmas. Now, how did that one come about? That's the big ultimate one right there. Well, it came about basically through my lawyer, uh -huh. Mark Sendroff, who represents everybody in show business, I think. Uh -huh. But he, he does represent Danny Elfman, of course, our composer, and the singing voice of Jack in the film. And they were looking for someone who had a Cab Calloway-esque uh, R&B, you know, they had a sort of cross-reference thing right. for the voice that they wanted. And they, I guess, from what I'm told, that Danny expressed that to Mark, and he asked him if he knew anybody because he was so connected to the theater. Uh -huh. And Mark said, I know the exact person, because around that time I had, Amos Behaven was still fresh in everybody's mind and so forth, and I had done 
sort of a, a take on Fats Waller in that. And he said, I think this is the guy for you. So I was in L.A., and I flew up to Skellington Studios in San Francisco. And I tell you, I, I, people say, you must have auditioned. I said, well, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I think I was auditioning, and I didn't realize I was auditioning. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I went up, they asked me, um, you know, they showed me the storyboards and what the idea was of Oogie and what his uh, part was in the story and so forth. And they said, what kind of idea? And, you know, of course, I knew what they were looking for, basically. Right. And they said, what kind of idea would you have about what that voice could be? And I said, well, the way I've thought about it, and he doesn't seem to be like a purely evil character. He has some humor and redeeming, blah, blah, blah. I said, so I think, uh, if you're familiar with, I said to them, Mercedes McCambridge, the great Oscar-winning actress, who had done the voice work for The Exorcist as the demon, which to me is what really frightened everybody. I mean, the visual <laughs> stuff might have turned your stomach, but her voice work was very, very well uh, articulated as far as what was going on in the film. And I was a huge fan. So I said, yes, that. I said, and um, Bert Lahr, you know, from The Wizard of Oz, because again, that was a sort of fun, funny guy thing, whatever, you know. Uh -huh. And I said, somewhere between the two of those with a little Louisiana hot sauce thrown on it. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, okay, that sounds pretty good. Well, let's hear that, you know. And I think I was being hired initially to sing the song. Uh -huh. Because again, like I said, Danny Elfman did the musical uh, voicing of Jack and Chris Sarandon did the speaking voice. And I think they were thinking, if we can find somebody to sing the song, we can probably just get anybody to do the voice, so to right, speak, right. you know. But they found out that actually I had this idea and we did some uh, uh, takes on it. And then, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think I went back and we recorded the song, whatever, whatever. Uh, but I kept, I said, well, look, if I go too far in either direction, just let me know. And they said, oh, no, no, go for it, go for it. And um, that's how Oogie came to be, the voice. I really, really wanted to bring elements of the uh, uh, really frightening thing from The Exorcist with some of the fun and lovability of Bert Lahr and then, of course, my own take on right. both of those things, you know. So that's how he was born. That's how I got there. So are you are you kind of surprised with the fandom towards uh, Oogie Boogie and The Nightmare Before Christmas? Well, absolutely. I mean, we did the film, oh, was it 97, something like that. Uh -huh. And, I mean, you know, we did it. It came out. People liked it. Some people said, well, you know, it's fun. There were instantly, of course, people who recognized that the stop action uh, achievement was outstanding, you know. Right. Uh, but the movie was not a huge hit then. It just came out and did well enough and so on. And I wasn't aware of the uh, sort of... Um, early fandom and cult thing that had begun until I was doing a production of Damn Yankees at uh, uh, Reprise in L.A. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, one of the stage crew, who was sort of a goth guy, came up to me and says, Hey, man, I heard you like, you know, in voiceover. I said, yeah. He says, is it true you like the voice of Oogie Boogie? I said, well, yeah, I am. And he did, I mean, he really freaked out. It was wild to watch it. He goes, you have no idea. He said, I go to this club every weekend, dude. And they play, 
you know, Oogie Boogie at the end every weekend on Saturday night. That's how we know that, you know, like it's ending, but everybody sings along. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, it's a huge thing. I thought, okay, well, that's great, you know. And then I started to investigate more and found out that there was this huge sort of underground cult thing building around the film. Now, already that was almost 20 or more years ago. So right. then, you know, once I started to realize what was going on, and I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, that's what I would have to say. It's phenomenal. But one film to continue, not just have grown, but to continue to grow, in terms of its fan base, because I also do uh, com comic cons and things like right. that where I sign autographs. And so, so I get a firsthand take on generationally how it's expanding continually. You know, there are people who were, you know, maybe teenagers or children when the movie came out that are now parents who have teenagers <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, little ones and so forth. So it just keeps growing. It keeps getting bigger. And um, Oogie seems to be gaining ground constantly, which is wonderful. Uh -huh. I mean, to me, there was a big moment back a ways when he was sort of, I guess, coronated, I guess you'd have to call it, as one of the official Disney villains. Because, you know, for a long time, right. we were still yeah. outside the castle. We were this renegade movie that was popular, but we weren't counted in the Disney canon of films and certainly not the villains. Right. But that's, that is long since passed, and now Nightmare yes. Before Christmas is yeah, it's one of their real uh, um, linchpins in the in the mix there, especially around this time of year. And Oogie has become this whole thing, which is so wonderful. I've done all of the voicing uh, for all the products since the movie came out, all the video games and all of the, the voicing at the parks there in Orlando, as well as, as Disneyland, Los Angeles. And I sort of stuck with it because there were times when they were experimenting and they weren't sure, but they, you know, I thought, yeah, sure, let's do it. Why not? Right. right? right. It's my voice, let's keep that connected to the character. Because as we also know, uh, they've had a long history of getting voice doubles as they move along because mm, it's course. cheaper. And I guess sometimes people aren't as available or people are gone or whatever. And I just was determined to make sure that it remained my voice. I don't right. doubt somewhere that I don't know about there's been a doubling somewhere, but um, I have pretty much, as far as anything that the public has heard in a, in a major way, I have uh, done all the voicing. And uh, I just recently went to uh, California Adventure. Uh -huh. And uh, Disney. I didn't go to the Disneyland Park. I went to California Adventure because they have a thing on there called Oogie Boogie Bash, right. which is one, I think, once a week or whatever. Uh -huh. Long story short, it was like Oogie's birthday. I mean, you know, you go there, <laughs> and it's, it's this big thing right at the entrance to California Adventure, and he's everywhere, and the voice thing was being used all over the place. And I'm also told at Disneyland, where I didn't get to go, there were a lot of uh, uh, live actors in the suits with the voiceover working over them oh, wow. and out animatronics and things like that. Wow. But the Oogie Boogie Bash was unbelievable and they had a thing attached with it. He was sort of the uh, MC of a story about this little girl who was trying to decide for Halloween whether to be, which villain she wanted to be. Right. So that was the whole story premise. And so you get to see all the Disney villains, but it's Oogie's sort of party he's telling you about all these different he comes in and out 
and it was just amazing. I'd never seen uh, the water show there, Wonderful World of Color, I think it's called, right. my World, World of Color. Color. Yeah, and I hadn't seen it before. So just to see the whole thing, and I thought, wow, look, I mean, I even did a version of Boogie, Boogie, Boogie Wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> and to get to see uh, the character dancing and finally getting down, you know, because there was a dance, uh, sequence in the film that they edited out and it was really cool it was very much like the Flesher Fleshman I think it is cartoons from the 30s so it was really great to see Oogie get to dance and get get down Oogie 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 <laughs> and I got a lot of free candy I mean it was really terrific VIP it was wonderful so did people recognize that that was you some people did, and some people did not. You know, a lot of people don't know your face because it's right. a voice thing. But I've worked very hard in many different ways to connect my face to the character so it's not just a voice that people right. don't really know. And, of course, there's the websites and things like that where people have gotten to see me interviewed or see my face. And, of course, all of the, uh, like I said, the Comic-Cons where I go and meet hundreds if not thousands of people each time. Um, and that certainly connects because they buy pictures and you sign them right, and so right. on. And so they know that this person is that voice and that's a great thing. So there's a lot of people out there now who do know who I am in connection to the, to the character. And there were a few there who I was surprised because I didn't really expect it, to be honest. And they would stop, Mr. Page, Mr. Page. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they did know. And then you could see it sort of go around the crowd. It's Oogie Boogie, it's Oogie Boogie. And I thought, yeah, yeah. I wore green just to have something. <laughs> <laughs> so have you done the uh, transformation of Haunted Mansion that has Nightmare Before Christmas? I did it a few years ago. Yeah, I haven't seen the recent one for this year. But I did it in um, I, the first two or three years, I guess, I did the commercials and things for the uh, for the Haunted Mansion, yeah. Wow. So what was it like working with Tim Burton? Well, you know, everyone asked that, and I always am sad to say Tim Burton did not direct the film. Tim, uh, uh, Henry Selleck directed the film, and Tim really didn't have very much to do with it at all. I mean, it's based on his book, obviously, right? and so on. But he was not the director, so we really, I, should, I didn't. I think uh, Chris might have worked with him once or twice on the go-round. But I didn't work with him at all on the film. I only worked with Tom, Tom Selleck. Yeah, right. Henry <laughs> Selleck. And uh, see how rumors get started. Uh -huh. Henry Selleck and Danny Elfman. Later on, of course, when the movie opened, Tim was there. And I got to meet him and talk with him and so forth. And he was very complimentary and loved what I'd done and so on. So that was as good as working with him for me. Right, but right. I didn't actually work with him. So I was wondering, um, since you were talking about the consistency of your voice with the character. Um, is it harder to voice for video games than for film? No, it's exactly the same. I mean, the process is a little different because for video games, you record more takes of a certain uh, thing, you know, because it's always about them making choices yes. uh, when they're playing the game. So you do do that, which is a little bit different, you know. But basically, it's the same process. You know, you record the line four or five or six different ways and more for video. And there's a lot more wild lines, they call it, of just sounds and things like that because they have to program all of that into the possibilities with the video game. But it's exactly the same. There's no real difference in the approach. Wow. 
So I'm sure you've heard the rumors going around. Uh, what are you? What are your thoughts about them doing a live action version of the Nightmare Before Christmas? Well, it's kind of like Cats in a way, isn't it? You know, yeah, I mean, I, when I heard mu- uh, rumors about them doing a stage production of it, a musical, I thought now that could be interesting because you could bring a whole world to life again, right. not unlike Cats, a very um, uh, uh, 3D sort of uh, uh, interactive world. A live-action film, again, I think the magic of Nightmare Before Christmas is that it is exactly what it is. Right. Uh, It is stop-action, and it is a world of reality created out of fantasy. And I think if you say, well, live-action, what is that? People dressed up in the costumes, we we have that already in the animated stop-motion film. And then you start to say, well, how do you do it? And all the different... And I just don't know. I think it's a special creation artistically that stands on its own. Theater could take it to another level because then there are live people in front of you and you can get to concentrate more on the score and things like that, which is outstanding, the score, not just the song, the score. But I don't know. To be honest with you, a live-action version of it seems to be, you know, a little losing the real magic again of what the real thing and was. I, you know, and with. I agree. I've had these conversations many times before where you look at those classic films that really just should not be remade. They should be just left the way they are because that's what they were made to be. And Well, you know, I will say this, to be fair. Some of the, 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 the um, more traditional animation, it's almost like you're bringing something that was made to mimic reality. Right. back to life, so to speak. With Nightmare Before Christmas, because it's stop action and not standard and uh, traditional animation, it's a different animal. It's yeah. not the same thing, you know. Uh, to see, uh, I mean, you know, you, you like or you don't like, but to see some of the, the classic films, The Sleeping Beauties, which hasn't been done, but to see, um, uh, what, what have they done? Alice in Wonderland, they've done Cinderella, they've done some of them, especially for new generations, it's sort of like they don't know what it was before, so that's what they see, and then they have both to look at. Right. And I don't think they always, uh, because there again is a magic in the animation that cannot be there in the live action, no matter what you do. Right. Um, but they stand, they can actually survive the transfer to live action, you know. Right. Uh, but I think with Nightmare Before Christmas, it would lose so much. I agree. I don't think there's a lot to gain because if you recreate the world, you'd have to recreate it so minutely like the film. Why do it? Just the film is already there, you know? Yeah, I I agree. And you had mentioned Alice in Wonderland. Tell us about your work on Adventures in Wonderland. Oh, <laughs> the walrus. I played the yes, walrus in a handful yes. of latex and plastic. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I think I did 10, 12 episodes, something like that. And again, it was wonderful. One of my very, very best friends in the world was the Red Queen, Amelia McQueen, the Queen. And a lot of other friends who worked on it were involved. So it was really fun. It was hard work because it was all musical. So with each episode, you had to learn a new two or one or two, at least for me, musical numbers. And you had to film them like the old MGM days uh, to your live recording, uh, to your recording rather than you had to do it live. And, of course, you learned the script, which had to be word perfect because it was for children. 
and it was also an, a teaching tool. So you couldn't substitute words. You had to, you know, it had to be letter perfect, which made it difficult. <laughs> not to say you're not always trying to be letter perfect, but in that case, it had to be. And there were certain sentence structures and things like that that were purposeful. Uh, they weren't the norm, but they were done that way because they were teaching the kids something through the, you know. Uh, but I loved doing it. I will say the makeup was, it took, it was like an hour and a half every time, you know, because it really was a full molded head for the, um, for the walrus and teeth. So it was, <laughs> it was quite an adventure in Wonderland. <laughs> wow, wow. I bet, well, you know. <laughs> You did a good job on it. They all did a good job yeah. on it. I mean, oh yeah, everybody was one of them. I mean, they did a hundred or more or so of uh, episodes. You know, they did I, a lot, and they shot a lot of it down in Orlando. Yes, and then they I came back that. up to, um, to yeah. yeah to then LA. they came back up to the studios in L.A. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it, and then you know, again, I'm so fortunate because it's one of those things that's there forever. They they will never age right. because right. they are. Uh, uh, you know, in a fantasy world, so to speak. And I'm sure they're airing somewhere. I haven't seen them in many, many years now, but there would be no reason for them not to continue airing somewhere. Well, you know, the the interesting thing is I used to wake up to them every morning as a kid because yeah. they had the oddest time slot, which was like almost six or seven o'clock in the morning. And it was perfect for when you were waking up to go to school because that's what I would wake Absolutely. up to every morning. So. Sure. Oh, they knew what they were doing. Oh, yeah, they did. Because <laughs> I want to say that you guys were side-by-side side with Dumbo Circus, and that was another big one that Disney Channel had at the time. Ah. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, it was a definitely an interesting character. But you also did work on um, Family Matters, too. Yeah. Um, well, I did one episode of Family Matters, yeah. There was a reunion of uh, lead characters, I think college roommate, friends, friends, and they had been a singing group called the Darnells, <laughs> and we all got together at a reunion, and then we sang on the show. There was myself and two other gentlemen, Reginald Bell Johnson, who was the star of the show, yeah. and he was the, one of the old, one of the group. So I did that one episode only, but it was fun, because a dear, dear friend of mine played the grandmother on there, Rosetta Lenoir, oh, wow. and I knew her well from New York. I'd done a show at her theater company, Amash Repertory, She's passed on now, Rester, but right. uh, she was one. It was just so great to re-meet in Hollywood, as it were, you know. Uh-huh. Well, I worked with uh, with Kelly on a few episodes of Clean House. Kelly Williams, who played uh, yeah. Laura. Yeah. Uh-huh. I worked with her a few times. She is such a sweetheart. I, I haven't been in touch with her forever, but, um, yeah, loved her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing for me because, you know, I, I was in L.A. for 20 years or more, and I recently, somebody asked me a question, I realized, other, of course, you're talking about family matters, but I realized how much I had done with Disney. Uh-huh. Um, of course, Adventures in Wonderland, of course, Nightmare Before Christmas, but I also did two TV movies. One was a all-black version of Pollyanna called Polly, uh-huh. which was directed by Debbie Allen, and it was so successful. It was on the Disney, you know, the Sunday night wonderful world of color. It was one of those, uh-huh. in our case, for real, you know. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, then we did the sequel, Polly Coming Home, which, again, has been so wonderful because for, you know, African-American kids to see something reflecting themselves in that traditional sort of sense has been really terrific. 
uh, a lot of kids, you know, of a certain age come and say, oh, my God, we watched it, and we had it on video and on VHS, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, we watched it all the time because the, the one was centered around Thanksgiving, I believe. So it was sort of a holiday show. Right. Um, so I did those two with Disney as well, but also did a TV film, which a lot of people, you know, I'm just saying all this, things uh-huh. get buried down in your bio, called uh, The Kid Who Loved Christmas. Uh-huh. I've done a lot of Christmas things, neither. Uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful story about this little boy who was an orphan who was adopted, and the mother gets killed in a car accident, and his dad, who's a musician, is trying to keep him and raise him. And of course, a musician's life can be up and down and so forth. But the thing that was so great about it, two things, is one, it gets shown annually, every Christmas it comes on. And again, it was an all-black cast, but the roster of people who were in it I just felt so um, privileged to be. There was Ben Vereen, Esther Rowe, Vanessa Williams, Della Reese. There was Sammy Davis Jr.'s last film. Uh, The list goes on. Cicely Tyson. I mean, it really was stellar, the list of people. And I felt so blessed, as time goes on, to be in something in the list with all those people. (laughs) You know, and... uh, it holds up because it's a very sweet and lovely story. And then you've got all of those wonderful people in it. So that alone is an occasion to watch it because one by one, God bless them, they've left us, you know. Right, right. We don't have Esther Rowling or we don't have Della. We don't have Sammy Davis and so forth. So little by little, the cast has become even more cherished in watching it. You realize you're seeing something. And because it's a Christmas film, it's sort of like one of our classic Christmas movies because all of these people from this cross-generational group of African-American performers are in it. Uh Yeah. And Michael Warren, who played the the dad musician, who was just terrific. Um, Yeah. Now, also, besides your many talents, you also sing. So tell us about the album you recorded. Well, I did a show... um, Let's see. I was working on the show anyway, and the show, by the way, is called Page by Page. Uh And the premise is that I've written a book, which I'm still trying to write. (laughs) (laughs) That I've written a book, and I'm reading from the book, and that's the show, right? Right. Um, A memoir. And um, uh, I started to work on it and had done little versions of it here and there at different times. And uh, it was promoted to the Poway Performing Arts Center down in Poway, California. Yeah, and they were like, well, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great place. And they said, well, we would love to have you do it. But at that time, I'd done it like three or four pieces and things like that. They said, but we need a large show because we have a big auditorium. And so they said, so we will uh, pay for you to have the arrangements done into 12-piece arrangements so we can have a full orchestra. And, wow. I mean, come on. That's, well, yeah. That's, yeah. And you get paid, you know. Uh-huh. That was about as good as it gets. So what I did do in thinking about it, I thought, well, if I'm going to do the show, and it was only, I think, two or three nights tops, and I said, let me see if I can arrange to have a recording done of it because I, I loved what I had done with it, and I had a wonderful director, uh, Dan Mojica, who has also passed on, but... Uh, and I thought, well, and, and Daryl Archibald, who was my musical director, and I thought, well, if we can get a recording out of this, a live recording, then I will have a CD. So oh, nice. we said, well, let's just go for it. I mean, we, can all, we only had one chance to record it, and I thought, well, it's a stage show, which means 
it may have some imperfections, but it also is set and should be able to go from middle, from beginning to end without a hitch, right? right. He hoped. <laughs> and fortunately, I thought, well, most of it's on me. God willing, the musicians were on their game because I had to make sure that I knew what I was doing and not make big mistakes. But I also realized it could be edited later, too. Right. So we did record it there, and it's a two-CD uh, uh, deal, and uh, it's called Page by Page. And it's still out there somewhere to be purchased on Amazon, I'm sure. Uh -huh. And it really went well. It sold well when it first came out. And um, I love it because it's a biographical, and it gives up to a certain point at that time my life and my career and, and the, the, all the songs from all the big shows I've done are in there. And it's I talk good. about living yes. in L.A. and living in New York. Oh, you've heard it? Yes, I yes. I oh, good. great, great. Actually, yeah. It's very soothing. Mm -hmm. It's very mm -hmm. um, warm. That's why I was oh. like, oh, I didn't know that you had done an album. But it is. It's very comforting. And not only that, oh. too, but what you say in it. I mean, it has a lot of um, life stuff in it. And yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a funny story connected to it. Since you've heard it, you'll appreciate it. I was doing the show, a smaller version of it, as I was touring around the country and so forth, and I did it, I forget now where I was, but somewhere in the South. And, um, you know, I'd done the show, and they said, well, the, the lady, there's two, three women that want to come back and say hello. One of them was like the maven of the city, wherever I was, right? Uh -huh. And she came backstage, and she shook my hand. She was very lovely and pleasant. Said, Mr. Page, I just wanted to make sure to tell you this this incident that we've experienced. I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> she said, well, myself, and she referenced her two friends, the three friends were with her. We all, because in the, in the show, as you know, on the CD, I'd say, well, there's so much more, but you have to read the book, right? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, we ran to the lobby to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> She said, then we got there and there was no book. Where oh. is the book? I said, well, you know, it's a premise that I use that I've written the book and I'm reading from the book. And she gave me no slack. She said, well, that's a lovely premise, Mr. Page, but we want to read the book. <laughs> I said, well, okay. And on her exit, I will never forget it. I wish I knew who she was because I, when I do write the book and I am started, I have started on it. I'm going to give her credit because at the door she says, "Well, we all were there to buy the book, and a word to the wise is sufficient." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, "You are correct. I take the note, and I will get on that." You know. Wow. Uh, but it was good because at least it, it made me know that there's a possibility that people would want to read the book, you know. And as you were saying, uh, uh, that, that, you know, there's a lot of life lessons. And now, of course, I'm X amount of years older than I was then right. and have gone another round or two with, with life experiences. So it's, I'm really anxious to write it, not so much for my own edification, but I really want to write it so that it's there for younger people. Right. So that it can stand as a, you know, because a lot of times history gets lost and the truth of incidences gets lost and somebody else tells your story and then they don't tell it right or they don't tell it. Right. And I thought to myself, I want to put it out there so that, because uh, most of my work other than Oogie Boogie has been in the theater, pretty much. You know, I was in the right. film of Dreamgirl too, which by the way was another one of those instances yes. where I realized yeah. I was in something that was not just popular, but it was historic. Correct. Again, you know, because just having all those people and 
we don't have, I mean, as African Americans, we have what? Stormy Weather. We have uh, Carmen Jones, Porgy and Beth. So when you come down the line to Dreamgirls, uh, the Polly movies that I spoke about, there are very few uh, musical offerings that give you a real taste of who, who was there at that time, so to speak. Right. I mean, you look at Stormy Weather, you've got Lena Horne, Cab Calloway, Fats uh-huh. Waller, Bill Bojangles Robinson, and on and on and on. And you could only have had all of those people at that time. Right. Same thing with Carmen Jones. You go through the cabinet, you know, uh, Dorothy Dandridge, Pearl Bailey, the late, and I say this, you know, Diane Carroll, who just was amazing right. as a road paver for us all. So, you know, when you get to do one of those, or two of those, or three of those, you count yourself very, very lucky. Because, you know, as time goes on, when we're mummy dust, somebody will look at it and go, oh, look, there's the kid who loved Christmas. And look at all those people that were in it. Those were the people who were around then. And right. same thing with Polly. You know, we had a wonderful cast. Felicia Rashad and yeah. Dorian Harewood. Even Butterfly McQueen was in Polly, which was her last uh, film okay. project. So I've been so fortunate to cross paths with those those real groundbreaking uh, uh, people in the African American film, particularly experience, and to be part of that is is really an honor. Oh, I imagine it it gives you that um, that sense of comfort and pride of success. Absolutely, and not just your own personal, but to be part of the history and the and the, right. the through line. Right. and so forth, and to be among people who were there long before I got there. And, you know, I sort of grabbed the tail on the end and, and, and got to be there with them. But now already those things are 20 and 30 years old. So, uh, you know, young people that I work with, they see those and they're like, for them, it's like us when I was young watching Stormy Weather. <laughs> they look at them and they think, oh, my God, I couldn't believe I watched it. All these people were in it, blah, 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 blah. And you say, yeah, yeah, that's. And you look at Dreamgirls and you think, okay, you've got Eddie Murphy, you've got Jamie Foxx, Beyonce, of course, Jennifer Hudson, lots and lots of other people who were in it, like myself, supporting players, uh, Hinton Battle and so forth. And you realize already, because that's a younger group and speaks to a different demographic age-wise, but already that's X amount of years old. And it's already one of those things where people watch it and they can't believe all the people that are in it. Right. So I'm very fortunate in that way. Absolutely. Well, Ken, um, thank you so much for being on here. We appreciate you are most welcome. And uh, we it's been so much fun. Uh But but you know what? We have to ask one little favor before we go (laughs) that if you can pull out Oogie Boogie and, uh, you know, wish our, our fans some happy Halloween or talk a little bit about Oogie Boogie, that would be amazing. Yes. Well, you know, in a, to a certain degree, of course, I've ever talked about Oogie Boogie, but I think um, every year, I will say this, this your fans will probably uh, will hear it around this time. Every year, uh, come Halloween time, I call it Oogie time. Uh-huh. <laughs> because, again, he comes front and center. Now, it goes on all year, as you know, and, of course, the big question is always, is Nightmare Before Christmas a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? Yeah. And my answer is always yes. You know, Um, but I think it's a wonderful thing because Halloween is my favorite holiday. And I think we all know now that Halloween has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger by the year. It's a huge thing now in the U.S. and elsewhere, Uh but definitely here. And to be one of the official uh, people, if you will, Ogie, uh, that's part of it is really pretty amazing, you know. Absolutely. Um, 
So I would say to your pod fans and whoever's out there, well, 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 it's Halloween time. Get out there and oogie boogie down. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, I just got goosebumps. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we really oh, good. It. That's the point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ken, thank you so much for joining us. And we really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. And we'll thank definitely you. keep in touch with you whenever we're in St. Louis. We travel so much. So, mm-hmm. Oh, um, good. Please do. Please yes, do. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Thanks so much. Happy Halloween. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. It was exciting, especially in Happy Halloween. <laughs> Nothing like Ken Page, the amazing Ken Page. Yes. And yes. Oogie Boogie from Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So I hope you enjoyed it. Go have your tricks and treats. Oh, you can have both. That's right. Wow. For Halloween. <laughs> you know, the best tricks in town is is pranks like we discussed in the best treats or the halloween things that we experience yeah so it's exciting we want to thank you of course for coming out and listening to us on this halloween day or night and we hope you're going to have a happy safe halloween yes we want to thank ken page for giving us the glamorous of oogie boogie and his amazing talents and coming on our show yeah absolutely and um you know, we want to remind you to tell your friends about us because we want to entertain them too. Hey, we're up for it. So be sure to tell everybody to follow us. You follow us on Instagram. At Chris.and.will. That's right. And next week we have an all new episode with an all new topic and an all new guest attending us. And, you know, we want to remind you guys that we love you guys. Be sure to love yourself. The world will love you in return. Of course. And we're so happy that you come and join us, even through the holidays, because we'll be here through the new year. Yeah. Exciting. Well, we want to again thank you, thank Ken, and thank everyone for joining us. But for now, we've got to go. Have a safe Halloween. Happy Halloween to everyone. So, Chris and Will, what about our life with Chris and Will? We got to go. Bye. Bye.